Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Welcome to Podcast 550. The key thing about the 50 intervals now is it's all questions. Thank you guys for bombarding us with great questions for this podcast. And it's no car questions, but I will start with a car story. <laughs> all right. Guys, thank you for joining us on this crazy adventure. We started doing it on the 50 mark because we realized as soon as we started doing the live podcast, that mm-hmm. was on the 100. We used to do yep. this on the 100 mark. Yep. And that was became the live podcast. Then the non-car questions became the 550 or the 50s. Yes. And then the quarter intervals are the just mm-hmm. all car questions. We didn't do any debates. Because you guys so are awesome all with confusing. questions. It's so really And good. yes, yeah. this is amazing. I, I have so many thoughts. There's so many cool questions. There's, there's stuff tons to of great discuss. questions. Who, who knew we'd get to five? 50 and who knows how long we'd go when you and i started yeah. this we'll like, start a podcast it'll be fine a uh, quick yeah. car story and then i'm going to jump into uh many of these i had something happen to me today i've never had happen before okay i was driving back from lunch was actually headed over here yep in the lotus because yep. it's 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 barely hanging on to lotus driving weather taking advantage <laughs> right and i'm driving along and a lotus went by the other direction you Another I, Elise. You and I joke about you yeah. don't see yourself coming and going, and that's a car I never see myself coming and going. And outside of like entering or leaving a Cars and Coffee, I've never seen another Lotus randomly on the road in this area. And I'm just driving along, and he went by, and I was like, that's like a – is, is that really – On a mid to late fall day, yes. the yes. weather is inexplicably warm. It's fantastic. I'm thrilled about. Yes. That's crazy. So I saw myself. Uh, so that was very crazy. I'm actually wondering if it was like, you know, time warp. It's a shadow of myself because it was a gray – I don't know. Anyway, whole thing. I, I flashed my brights. He saw me. He waved. We did a little oh, Lotus good. thing. We did a little Lotus. What's the great. Lotus wave? I have no way. idea. I, 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 There's so few I've of never you seen that another, knows. I've never right. driven by another one. I have right. no idea if we have a thing. So I just flashed <laughs> my brights. Nobody knows. Yes. It's like, I just saw another one. I yes. can't get over that. The wave? I don't know. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Thank you for all of the questions. I should say right up front because there's been a few questions to this degree. Again, 550 podcasts. Amazing. Uh, Number 52 was our one-year anniversary. We used to do these, and they used to be less than an hour, believe it or not. We used to do these once a week. Right. So number 52 was our first year in, and that podcast is a podcast where we break down everything about how the show started, how you and I met, how the show started, what we used to do for a living, all of that information is there in detail for over an hour in Podcast 52. So those of you that were kind of wondering, you've joined us since, you're wondering the origin story. One of you actually called it that. I loved it. We're going to get capes. Origin Call story. it the origin story. But anyway, no so capes. if you're curious about it, that is Podcast number 52. You can hear it all right there. There's a question here from Chris Starr who says they are homeschooling this year and he has been nominated to be the art teacher. <laughs> okay. Any tips or advice for teaching art to a very motivated eight-year-old? Chris, this is a fantastic opportunity. Yes, I have many ideas, but I want you to not think about teaching art history. You don't need to delve into that. I want you to start with materials. Okay. And I want you to start with going to the largest art store near you, big art stores, whatever you can find. Now, there's always a good kid section, but a, a place like Michael's doesn't really have a great, that's more like crafts in my opinion, It's okay, yeah, which yeah. is also creating art. But I want you to go to an art store, walk around the store and introduce your eight-year-old 
to all the materials Uh-oh. and select the materials that they are interested in possibly experimenting with. And I want you to back up and think about different papers and teaching about the, the different tooth on different papers and what it's okay. like to use different pencils, different media on that paper, whether it's charcoal or pen or mm. pencil, whatever that is. And you get a selection, a nice selection, because I don't think that kids needed to be treated like kids when it comes to art. They need to use the real materials from mm. the very beginning and actually get to feel them. Mm. And smell what a xylene marker. It's really toxic and nasty, but you you need to smell <laughs> what the smells like. Get those for your like. kids, yes. You Kill the to, brain cells early, yes. You need to buy a variety of different writing and sketching instruments <laughs> and get into the different papers. Buy a, you know, a, a newsprint pad and buy a, a heavy bond paper and then you know sketchbooks <laughs> in between and, and feel what does it feel like to draw on the different tooth of that paper. A ballpoint on mm-hmm. that will be very different than marker paper. Mm. Introduce all these materials and that includes paints, watercolors, gouache, <laughs> all all that stuff. And walk around the store and just and they might not know what they're interested in. So maybe you just kind of get a selection and you're just trying materials. You're just trying colors. So you can start with that and then mm. start to get into some color theory. So start mixing paints. You don't have to actually create anything yet. Just start mixing colors. Get the hmm. basics, the primary colors, and then what colors can you create with those? Start teaching the color theory hmm. and then start drawing from a 3D perspective because when kids are asked to draw a car, they draw inevitably a Volkswagen bus, true, yeah. a box, or an old Volvo 240D. It's yeah. the three box design. True, yeah, yeah. That's what cars look like to kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Even SUVs is just kind of a box. Yeah, good point. So- Start to understand proportion and structure and then turn it into 3D. So you draw, you're drawing boxes and instead of drawing circles, you're drawing cylinders mm. for wheels. Start to do that. And then, you know, there's plenty, the, the internet is full of various projects for kids and you can kind of look into that, but I'll give you one to spark creativity. And that is an exercise that I did while I was at art school. Okay. And that is the instructor said, go buy a fruit or a vegetable. Okay. Cut it in a unique way. Take a knife and cut it. Okay. Now sketch what the, the pieces that you've cut. Sketch that. So you've, you're doing mm-hmm. a life-size, still-life drawing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Not life-size, yeah, yeah. but just a still-life mm-hmm. of the thing. And now, over a series of five or ten sketches, turn those sketches from the drawing of the fruit or vegetable into a lamp. Whoa. You're morphing. And what are the in-betweens? It's like animators when they have this pose and this pose. And the the people who draw all the steps in between are called in-betweeners. Mm. You're drawing the five movements from mm-hmm, this pose mm-hmm. to this, mo- this pose. So the frown to the smile. What are the five in-between facial mm-hmm, expressions mm-hmm. in between those two? Mm-hmm. And in-betweeners, that's their job. They just yeah, sit yeah, there and sure. sketch. So you're you're trying. I'll give you an example. I bought an orange. Mm-hmm. I cut it in half and I was looking at it and I thought, well, that, that kind of looks like a clock face. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And then I set it sideways and then I you know, morphed it into a clock that lit up from behind. And so all the orange, oh, halved orange slices were lit up and that kind of thing. Okay, okay. I had a gre- uh, green bell pepper. Cut that in a weird way and it kind of looked like a, a clog or a shoe and then it was you know, morphed into a desk lamp. Mm-hmm. So start to 
get your eight-year-old to see things in a different way and morph things from one to the other. And hopefully that will provide some inspiration now that you've covered materials mm. mm-hmm. and, you know, covered different, you know, what is that produced and, and get them to recognize artwork in newspapers and magazines. And mm-hmm. somebody illustrated that. And mm-hmm. this is their take on things. And, you know, then you can move into maybe clay and armatures mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing and understanding structure. It's like when you're drawing the human body, you want people to understand skeletons first, yeah. then you lay the muscle over the top, then you're drawing the skin, then you're drawing the pose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's how animators and fine artists draw people. Mm-hmm. You're, you're understanding the skeletal movement and arms don't bend that way. They bend like this. Sure. All those kinds of things. So I, I know it's early, but start them early and give them the real materials. Don't just yeah. give them crayons. Give them the real materials so they can feel it early. You make me wonder about thinking about still life stuff. And I did a ton of that when I was more of an artist than I am now, you make me wonder about them taking what is a favorite toy or what is a favorite car toy or a favorite stuffed animal or whatever and draw that. Yeah. Because I find this with my son when he draws stuff. If he draws something completely out of his head, it's a mess. Sure. If he's drawing sure. something he's looking at, it's a very different drawing. Yes. So even if yes. it was just like, here, you, this is your favorite stuffed animal, just set it up on the table, set it down and draw that. Yep. You like this, this yep. uh, Hot Wheels car a lot. Set it there. And from your perspective, what's that look like? Absolutely. That's a fantastic way to do it. And that's why artists use scrap. Designers mm-hmm. use scrap. And that's, it's just clippings out of a magazine mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. inspires you. And you've got it sitting next to you as you're sketching. Absolutely. That gives you an inspiration. Hopefully those are some ideas that you can move that's forward cool. and keep us posted. So many great questions, and so many have nothing to do with cars. This is as close to cars as I'm going to get right here. Okay. Chris writes in and goes, no cars? All right, well, then here's a track daily crush with no cars. You see this? Yes. Horse and chariot, lawn tractor, and Zamboni. Good. This is good. Uh, Track daily crush. All right, here it is. I'm going to crush the Zamboni. Because it's pretty limited in where you can use it. I'm going to track the lawn tractor, and I'm going to ask if I can use the crazy Honda one that they made that went to 100 miles an hour. Remember that one? They made an actual track-capable lawn tractor. It was like a 130-mile-an-hour lawn tractor. And I'm quite excited because I am already a guy that drives around ridiculous things. I'm quite excited (laughs) to just go places in a horse and chariot. Just because. Just, I'm going through the drive-thru. I got to drop my kid off at school. It's the horse and You don't drink chariot. coffee, but suddenly you drink coffee. Yeah, because exactly. I'm just going to go through a drive-thru. And just through Starbucks. Clip, clip, clip. Hello. <laughs> Dean Harrelson says, is it okay that his car disease has mostly switched to the mountain biking disease? <laughs> a lot of good mountain biking questions. Yeah. yeah. He says, if there are a few hours and the weather is good, he's on the bike on the great trails here in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. Inexplicably, the weather is warm right now as of mm-hmm. this podcast, late fall. And I'm hoping to be back on the bike here shortly. Kazi asked a question related to mountain bikes. I you saw this one. He says, should I wax my mountain bike to keep the paint looking good or just get it muddy and leave it? Wax your mountain bike. Paul may answer this differently. But my short answer is absolutely not. Don't waste the time. I will say, figure out a way you can hose that thing off and get it genuinely clean regularly. I, I, I'd love to say I do it every ride. I don't. It gets really dusty in the fall here, and so it doesn't happen every ride. But I try regularly to at least wash mine down, but it gets nicks and it gets dirty, and there's there's grime in this seam that's never coming out, and it's a mountain bike. <laughs> that's fine. Honestly, I'm with you on this one. Are you? My cars, yeah, they got to stay clean, but the mountain bike the dirtier, the better. Let's get that thing dirty. And then, yeah, clean it up and definitely lube the chain and oil everything mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. make sure you clean it and keep it nicely running. And then go get it dirty again. Yes. Absolutely. 
Rick Dreyer says, what are you guys into outside of the car world? We've seen hints and tidbits, watches, and I've got a lot of watch questions. I've got yes, a lot of do. watch answers. Yes, I'm going to zone out for the back half of the podcast, yeah. Rick knows that we're somewhat familiar with the aviation world, which is very true. I do love aviation. And then if we could do anything else in the world but work with and about cars, what would you do? We'll be here for a long time, as you Here's said. Here's the next 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. I love furniture, Rick. I, I discovered furniture, designing furniture, and just kind of got really into it and understanding KD, which is knockdown or flat pack kind of Ikea kind of furniture and the actual, the beautiful design work that goes into that. And just the packaging of that is so creative. And then all the way to beautiful pieces done by the Italian manufacturers and the reason you pay for that piece of furniture and you turn it over, you flip it over and you look on the underside and you still can't find where the fasteners are. Mm-hmm. You, kill, you still can't find how does this go together? Mm-hmm. That's what's fascinating. When you have a really high end, beautiful piece mm-hmm. that is as sculptural and beautiful to look at in your house as it is to sit on mm. that intrigues me so much. And I'm, into kitchens. I love looking at real estate. I'd love looking at real estate around here. You know, dreaming about houses, of course. I think yes. everybody does. Dreaming about houses you can't afford, but looking at the interior designs, the current trends. I like kitchens a lot. I love the concealed fridges and concealed everything mm-hmm. and clean design. Pogan Pole, Snydero, Bull Top. Those are some of my favorite kitchen brands. Okay. So, all right. Uh, Valcuccine is also another one words I've never heard, but keep going. Really like all these brands. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm into kitchens, even though I'm not a great cook. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really not. I can prepare food, but cooking, I, I, hmm, I'm still working on that one. And that is another (laughs) one. I I took a, uh, a knife skills class Mm -hmm. at the Salt Lake Culinary Institute uh, a couple of summers ago. Mm Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. And it was all about vegetables. And then we created fajitas after that, which was really cool. And I really enjoyed it. But I just thought, you know what? I know how to cut stuff, but I don't really, I Mm, don't. Interesting. Back to bell peppers. I learned how to cut a bell pepper like I've never learned before. And the way to cut a bell pepper is so creative and cool. And I really enjoy it. I just don't have the time and don't get to cook as much. So I I want a really high-end kitchen with amazing cookware and the awesome knives and I want to do Big that stack stuff. of bell peppers and Paul's happy. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll sketch them and turn them into it, other things. It'll be awesome. It'll be great how that works. I will say that one of the th- couple of things that I've thought about that I would do if I could pick anything, you know, sometimes that question, like what profession other than your own would you want to do? I can't believe we get to do this, honestly. Yeah, I agree. But I will say I am fascinated by two lines of work and they are completely opposite but they both tap into different parts of my personality. I am fascinated by people that either are comedians or speakers for a living Mm. because of the idea that you have a person. And and there's a lot of comedians that do this, especially when they're like play Carnegie hall or someplace with thousands of people, A, a single person on a stage with no props and a microphone. Comedians do it. Speakers do it. And there's all these people here. For just that person to talk. I mean, you and I are, are we're, we're can almost see that from here doing this podcast, I guess. But the concept of that I find fascinating. Hmm. And I'm not. I'm. I am neither the uh, the fantastic uh, speaker of wisdom nor the funny guy to be either a speaker for a living or a comedian that I can tell. However, I just find that intriguing. Some of that sometimes when I watch comedians, I'm almost more fascinated by the fact that they're commanding the room than what they're saying. 
Sure, sure. Yeah. I just find that fascinating. The other thing that I, that I would be very intrigued by is if I could write stories for a living. Now, I have a novel coming out. I'll answer those questions in a second. But I think that's really interesting as well. But, of course, writing is entirely solitary, mm-hmm. whereas the other mm-hmm. thing I'm talking about is the complete opposite. So I find that fascinating. Uh, there are many questions. Thank you, guys, by the way, for your interest in the fact that I have written a novel. I've mentioned it. I've <clears throat> teased it for the entire this life. This is cool. You need to give a book update here. I, I, I've teased it for the entire life of this podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm doing it. But, 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 it'll be out by Christmas. Okay. I love that you're I putting a stake in the ground. I have got half of it back from my editor. My editor, unfortunately, is taking longer than I hoped. Thankfully, that is due to them going slower than they hoped versus there's so much to do. Which is, I was worried. When they, got, when they started going slow, I was like, how bad is it? And they were like, no, no, no. It's actually life stuff. Yeah, that slowed right. them down. So right. that's the thing. But anyway, so I've got half of it back from my editor. I am doing my final pass, and that's going fairly quickly. So that is happening. I have got uh, the cover design is in process right now. That'll be done in the next week. So we are close. This is cool. And I am pushing to have it out probably the week after Thanksgiving is my is my intention. Now, granted, that's also when things get really crazy for us making season eight of Car TV. It does. So you know what? You know, why don't I try to do it all at once? But I I'm I want to have it out for Christmas. It will be out on Amazon as either an ebook or as a paperback. And there will be a larger podcast coming about when it is actually out and some more details about it for those of you that are interested. So thank you for your interest. Uh, I am honestly, candidly, I am relying on you guys to help it be a thing that the algorithm even noticed exists. I'm right. hoping those of you right. that are interested, and, and if you're not interested, I get it. But those of you that are interested and you, many of you have asked, I'm hoping that you will jump on it kind of right away to create a little bit of a groundswell that makes the algorithm go, oh, book we've never heard of that would be kind of nice to have your help because honestly i can't do it by myself rick i have your answer it's been a little bit for a while but it's been growing in the the career that i would do other than this taking inspiration from a guy named nathan mervold he founded microsoft research okay and he managed an r&d budget there of two billion dollars he is a scientist and a technologist and an inventor and an author and a food photographer. <laughs> Can you? Where's that business? I, I photograph. This food. is a thing. Go by on. The way. In 2011, he published a five-volume, 2,500-page cookbook called Modernist Cuisine, The Art and Science of Cooking, which is about $600 if you want to buy it. A 2,500-page cookbook? Cookbook. It's five volumes. Five huge, thick volumes of a cookbook, but it's not just recipes. It's him experimenting with food and figuring out new ways to cook and present food. So what you're saying is he got a it's, really nice advance from a publisher so that he didn't have to worry about whether or not they can actually sell a $2,500 well, no, he was already he was thing. already doing fine. Mm-hmm. He worked for Microsoft yeah. Research. He, he worked for he, Microsoft. He doesn't care. He was yeah. moonlighting as, as a chef. And then since then, he left Microsoft and he's been doing, he's now doing photography of modernist cuisine. <laughs> I love having a great meal. Modernist cuisine. It's very square. There's lots of glass. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of structure to it. I love having a really great meal at a high-end restaurant with friends. I love just taking the time to do that. That's one of my favorite things. The ability to produce that in your own kitchen is way out there. Mm. It's just, I love, you know, standing around with a glass of wine or whiskey and whatever and, and doing that. I love the conversations that come out of that. And you're at a restaurant and eating amazing small amounts of delicious food. Nathan Mervold is quite an inspirational guy. He went into cooking and that direction. Now he's into photography and he's got a doctorate in theoretical and mathematical physics. 
And he chose food. $2,500 five-volume thing on food. It's astounding. Okay. I'm I'm shaking my head, but that's fine. He's very inspirational as far as that. And just the whole celebrity chef thing and just somebody feed Phil. Yeah. That show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He was so animated when he tasted food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big time. And he went around the world. I'm thinking, well, I can do that. I can I can have this crazy freak out reaction when I taste the gelato with the olive oil and Uh stuff. And yeah, that sounds great to me. It's amazing that they pitched that show and it worked so well. But okay, very cool. Kyle asked an interesting question. He said, because you and I do travel for this show somewhat window or aisle seat. (laughs) Kyle, actually, it depends on the situation. I actually, growing up, because of my love of flight, because I understand how to fly a plane, because I am not scared by it, and I love to see the scenery from up high, I was always a window seat guy. Just just had to have the window seat. Now that I have become a full-fledged, large, a little bit bigger than normal-sized adult, mm. and mm. also I typically work on the plane, most of the time actually editing on the plane. Yeah, right. When you are typing on the plane, that's one thing because you can keep your elbows in. When you're editing, you got to use the trackpad. you got to move the mouse. So mm-hmm. I prefer the mm-hmm. aisle so I have more arm room. <laughs> but I would love to have the window if I can. Just I need to work so I can't. All right. Uh, lots of questions on here about watches, which I have to get here. And Hayden Hughes says, what is my grail watch? And I take inspiration from Richard Mille, Richard Mille. It is uh, a manufacturer of very expensive watches. But here's the deal. The watch that I really actually want is um, $215,000. Oh, sorry. I, that caught me by surprise. I apologize. But let me put that into perspective. There for is you. no perspective that makes that okay for me. I'm sorry. Let, I'm me, let me tell lost. you about this. This is a brand that approached Rafael Nadal. Rafa, okay. all right, yeah. the tennis champ. And he was very skeptical about wearing anything on his, his wrists while playing. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, Rafa just wore a $1 million Richard Mille watch at the French Open while playing. He wears this watch while he's playing tennis at mm-hmm. a high, the pro level, the, mm-hmm. the highest level. Yeah. Wearing this watch, it's inspired by him, so they convinced him to try it out and wear it, and now he won't not wear one of the Richard Mille watches <laughs> while he's playing tennis. Because the amount of money competing. they pay him figures, I'll deal with those few ounces no, on my No, because they approached him and he refused, and they had to convince <laughs> him to say, look, I, I think this watch will hold up, and... You know, it'll survive your serve and write a big enough check and I'll start wearing your watch. I suppose so. Yeah. I suppose that's part of it. But he's wearing a million dollar watch. And most of us are going, I wouldn't wear my, you know, $2,500 watch to do that. Here he is. <laughs> I don't just, own a watch. Yeah. <laughs> so what that says to me, let me relate it to cars. Okay. And how that's working on me. Okay. Because I used to be freaked out about just don't park mm. anywhere near mm. cars. Okay. Don't yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, have a preciousness. I had a preciousness about my 92 Honda Accord. Yes, you did. Which is a lot of the reason why it looked so great. It did. It looked phenomenal. Even yeah. when I sold it with 180,000 miles. It looked great. It did. Very clean. But here I am now taking care of my cars, washing them, but not obsessing so much. It's sort of like drive them. Life is short. Drive your car. Mm-hmm. Use the thing that you own. And it, it gives you a weirdly just this immense pleasure if you can afford to own the thing and use it for what it's designed rather mm-hmm. than backing off no i can't i can't wear that nice item of clothing i can only wear it for special occasions 
No, pull out those nice dishes. Use them on a mm-hmm. daily basis. You know that really expensive bottle of wine that you bought? Mm-hmm. It's Friday night, and for no other reason, just to open the bottle, you have friends over, just to celebrate, we're going to drink this stuff now. Yeah, here's this That's being consumed. It. Yeah. And just yeah, use yeah. it and drink it. And so I've, I've become the other way and, and not completely you opposite. Aren't, you aren't sort of like You aren't flippant. Exactly. I'm yeah. not just yeah, saying, yeah. you know, abuse and break the things just to... That's not the point. But here's Rafa wearing a $1 million watch, and you think, oh, no, he's just using it, and the thing's fine. It better be. It $1,050,000 for 50 of these watches. <laughs> falls, falls apart on court. you got a serious problem. So their low-end watches are only $215,000. Puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but $215,000. <laughs> That's a lot of cars. That's a house. That's yeah, a condo. I That's could, I mean, a really nice Nest egg. It bothers beginnings. me that my phone costs a thousand dollars, does a lot of other things, and tells me the time. It's I don't it's get it. I admit that I'm lost on it. I get now. Let's go to the very other end because many people have said, "Hey, Paul, what is a watch?" There's a question on here, and I haven't found it yet. It, I uh, haven't found the author yet. It is a question about what's a good watch under two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, I love G-Shocks. Casio mm-hmm. G-Shocks are awesome. I'd absolutely wear a G-Shock everywhere. But there's also a brand that I became pretty impressed with visiting their headquarters in Detroit. It is Shinola Detroit. Okay. Now, their lowest end watch is $395. Okay. I think right around there. They've got a good mix of battery-powered quartz watches and automatics. And I love the founders. Shinola was around for a long time, and then they sort of refounded it and sent all their watchmakers actually made in downtown Detroit. Hmm. To watch school in Switzerland. And they came back with all this knowledge. And here they are making watches. And they're employing all these people who never before had this experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're now genuine high-end watchmakers. But they're doing it at a great price, to Mm -hmm. be honest. Mm -hmm. And they're cool. All the GM executives I hear wear Shinolas. Because it's like hometown watch. Mm -hmm. Which is awesome. And they've expanded the brand and the line. The automatics are, for an automatic watch, $1,600. That's Pretty decent, making their own movements. I'm pretty impressed with Shinola. How many of you have only heard white noise for the last five minutes? Is it just me? I, 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 I don't think it's just me, but I'm impressed either way. Okay. <laughs> Travels with George J. asks a question that, hmm, I'm wondering how to answer this. What's the one piece of advice or wisdom that was imparted to us as a youth that still guides us today? I've, I've got it. You've got one? Yep. I've got one too. Keep going. It's actually in my high school yearbook. Oh wow! And it had to do. It came from my sister's swim team, okay. and their motto. I forget who this is attributed to. It's not original, but they they adopted it, and it was excellence, not perfection. Even mm. though I can be accused of being a perfectionist about a lot of things, mm. it is consistently pervaded throughout my entire life. Is excellence, not perfection. If excellence equals yeah. almost perfection on that particular project, okay, great. Yeah. But everything you do, which I think pervades into what you and I do for the show, mm-hmm. we don't want to release anything that is not really up to a standard, yeah. to be honest. I don't want to make some garbage. Yeah, for sure. Even for sure. You know, some of the, the cars that we don't love for the test drive channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are still shopping for those. Totally. It yeah. still deserves our attention. Mm-hmm. And what if we were shopping in that category and... There's people who like it. So mm-hmm. it deserves our our work as to well. To be done right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, my, my wife has a client actually that uh, she does admin for a lot of people, and she has a client that actually refers to it as don't let uh, perfect be the enemy of good. 
Yeah. So because yeah. they have deadlines they have to hit, and we have those realities as well. I, I, I like that one a lot. I had one that struck me, and it's it's not actually what you're asking, George, but it relates because I grew up very conservative and somewhat sheltered mm-hmm. because my father is kind of Ned Flanders realized. Okay, so that's that was my upbringing. So when I got late high school, early college, there were um, <clears throat> revelations to come. There were like, wow, the world is very different than I thought it was. You know, when I got up into into late high school, early college. And right about the time I got out of college, which this is where it's different than what you've asked, because I was older than I think you're imagining. But right around the time I got out of college, I've had this very sheltered, very conservative life to that point. Okay. And I heard somebody that was a business owner refer to something as ask for forgiveness, not permission. Hmm. Hmm. Now, for their activity, are, whatever what, they were doing. That's, that was the core of how they started their business. Oh, interesting. Okay. They, they were like, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, not permission, and I'm going to do this thing. Right. Okay? Right. Now, if you think about the fact of who I was coming to that bit of information, I was the guy that would have always asked for permission. Sure. Always. Sure. So I moved from college. I moved out to Los Angeles, which was very, very uh, revelatory as well, and uh, was now working in the film industry, which is very different and can be very cutthroat and, frankly, is filled with a lot of people that are not that nice. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But also, the other thing about the film industry, and a lot of industries are this way, but especially creative industries, people love to tell you no. They might not even have a good reason, but you just can't, you know, you can't do that. That's, that's a no. You can't do it. Right, right. And so the ask for forgiveness, not permission, was actually an undercurrent thing in us starting this show. Because by the time we did, I knew enough about production. I knew enough about post-production. I knew about, enough about, quote, unquote, you can't see the air quotes, how to do something. That I knew there were a lot of things we weren't doing, we weren't doing, quote unquote, right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mm-hmm. care because if we did them our way, we could get it done. If we waited for somebody to approve us doing it the other way, it would have never happened. So this show's creation is actually directly related to asking for forgiveness, not permission. There's a few times we've stepped on some toes and been like, ooh, shouldn't have done that. But by and large, yeah, yeah. we have gone forward knowing we're conservative guys. We're careful guys. We're not reckless. Yeah. If I gave somebody – here's why I want to be cautious. George, if somebody reckless, they don't need to hear ask for forgiveness, not permission. They're going to break stuff. Of course. Of course. But if you're a conservative person and you hear that, there's a freedom that comes with it. And that actually did inform all the way up through right now and this show. While we're filming, EWH105 says, what's a normal lunch when you're out filming? <laughs> Ladybugs and dirt and sticks. <laughs> We had we had a season of shooting where where you of all people always made sure to pick up the brownie brittle. I did. And you're not a chocolate guy. Well, but no, you, but you I'm looking out for the rest of the crew. But you would eat tons of it. You couldn't yeah, leave a store yeah. without it. And that was like a season. We went through like I don't know, like six months where every shoot we were on, we had brittle. brownie brittle, and then all of a sudden it like fell off. I know. I just it's very got weird. tired anyway, of it. Yeah, I was eating it like a feed bag, like a you, horse. You does. you practically did strap it on. You're right. Yes. <laughs> so it's mainly it's it's Subway. It's Sandwiches from the local deli at a you know local mm-hmm. grocery store. We'll just get that chips, apples. Just have snacks on hand, and you know just munching throughout the day as we're filming. Just it's like river time. You know, sleep when you're tired, eat when you're hungry. <laughs> Scott J. Murdoch says, if we're getting first tracks on our favorite ski mountain, what do we go for? Powder, corduroy, or bumps? Oh. First tracks, you want powder. If you're able to cut yeah. first tracks, yeah. just give me something pristine. Nobody's touched this yet. Let's go through some powder. Of course. If you park outside during the cold months, you know, overnight at home or while you're at work, you need a car cover from Covercraft. 
we recommend the Custom Weather Shield HP Car Cover. It's designed for dramatic water dispersion while still being breathable and really lightweight. It has superior paint finish protection too. On the underside, it's less abrasive than flannel. Our cars are an investment, from our personal fun cars, our own cars, and SUVs, all the way to our cheap sports cars. Covercraft is focused on protecting the car or SUV or truck that you love, too. When you're shopping at Covercraft.com, remember to use the code every day to get a 10% discount plus free shipping. Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality covers that keep your car protected and looking its best. There are movie questions. There's a lot of movie questions and, and things about story and other entertainment. I'm going to go with this one from Ben. From a filmmaking producer perspective, why is the Marvel Universe successful and the DC Universe a flop? That's I'd love to hear the reason. I, I'm not going to say I know definitively the reason, but I'll give you some thoughts on this. First off, the Marvel Universe that you know and love. I mean, keep, keep this in mind. X-Men, long before the current Marvel Universe, is Marvel. Spider-Man. Remade multiple times before the current Marvel Universe. Now it was owned by Sony, but that's also Marvel. So there's been other Marvel executions that have been mixed. Mm-hmm. Okay, but mm-hmm. the common thread of the current Marvel Universe is a guy named Kevin Feige. He is he has quickly become the most powerful producer in Hollywood because he has guided all of the Marvel movies. Never heard his name. You never heard his name, but if you're in Hollywood, you've heard Kevin Feige's name. He is so successful in guiding those movies, they are talking with him about doing a Star Wars trilogy. Now, think about the fact that he doesn't have a Star Wars background, but he's done such a good job. He comes out of comics and comes out of a knowledge of Marvel. So you have a comic book guy that steps into kind of corralling these films. And if, if you have time and if you want to, you can actually watch the Marvel films in release order or in chronological order, meaning the order in which they supposedly happened. Okay. Cause like Captain America wasn't the first movie to come out, but it would have been the first one in historical timeline. You follow what I'm saying? Sure. Whereas sure. Iron Man came out prior, blah. Anyway, my point is you can watch them either way. They're all self-referential. They're setting up things from this other movie. They're linking to that other movie. They're winking over here to that movie. It's because Kevin Feige's making sure that happens. Hmm. So the intricacy of those films is shocking. Also, think about the fact that the first Thor movie, it's Thor. Okay? Chris Hemsworth at this point was not like a huge household name. Thor is not like a superhero we all really want to go see. In the God of Thunder, right? Natalie Portman and Kenneth Branagh directs. Really? Now, here's the those other interesting names. thing. I know those names. Exactly. I'm not in Hollywood, and I know here's those Here's the names. other interesting thing about Marvel is that they didn't necessarily do what a lot of other filmmaking companies would do, and that is we have a big franchise. Let's get some director that just came off a big Sundance project and give him a big franchise movie. Mm-hmm. Kenneth mm-hmm. Branagh is directing your Marvel Thor movie? That's going to be a very different film. John Favreau had interesting background before he did Iron Man. Now, Iron Man was still a coup for him. So – It's all of that interconnectivity that makes them really work. And the tone was set with Iron Man. Okay. Serious with a wink. Okay. They've always had a sense of, let's just play with this. And that's somewhat the Iron Man character. It's somewhat John Favreau, who comes out of comedy, if you think about it. Right. I mean, he directed Elf. Think about the fact that the guy that directed oh, Elf that. directed Iron Man. Really? Yes. No kidding. Okay. So John Favreau directed both those films, all right? So and you have Robert Downey Jr., who kind of has a natural tendency to kind of be that character. He kind of has that wink all the time. 
So that sets a tone for the universe that it's going to be serious enough and have gravitas emotionally, but it's also going to keep winking. Now go over to DC. I know I'm on a rant. Go over to DC with Batman. Batman is a very serious universe. Now, back in the 60s, it was a joke, but Christopher Nolan makes the definitive Batman films. They're unbelievable. The oh, Dark yeah, films. I agree to that. I agree but they that. are as dark as can be. Yeah. Okay, yeah. they're dark enough that my son, who's seen just about everything, is asking me when he can see Dark Knight. And I'm going, we're going to hold off a bit. <laughs> and he's seen a lot of stuff. Okay. okay? All right. So my All right. son's seen The Matrix, but we haven't seen Dark Knight. I mean, we got it. We got it. Those are dark films. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. All so right. anyway, that film is very dark and intense, which is actually appropriate for Batman. But then you carry over that demeanor to Superman and Wonder Woman and everything else in an attempt to make a universe that is cohesive, but you started with a pretty dark place. Zack Snyder, I actually like him as a filmmaker in a lot of ways. My last part of the rant, Man of Steel is much debated as among Superman lovers mm. because people that love Superman, they don't like where that movie goes. I've never liked the Superman character that much. He's iconic, but he's never been my favorite. I prefer Batman. Okay, but the first two thirds of Man of Steel is one of the best origin stories, person struggling with their identity and their origin and father son stories I've ever seen on film. It's phenomenal. Then the last third becomes punchy punch and is too bad. So that's disappointing. Punchy punch. It becomes punchy punch. It's just we had a great story and then the writer stopped writing and just went punchy punch, destroy buildings for 20 pages. It's, we were doing so well and now it's just punchy punch. So there's that. That's funny. But then the other thing is then you try to carry that over into all of the other DC stuff and it stays really dark. So when they did Justice League and Zack Snyder, because of family tragedy, had to leave the project, they brought in Joss Whedon. Okay. For those of you that are geeks, know he's done Firefly and a lot of other things, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that has a yeah, comedic okay. tone. I've lost you. You've zoned out. Yeah, it's like you, me with watches. I understand. Right. So Joss Whedon was brought on just to try to create that winky laugh stuff that existed in Marvel. Didn't quite work because the tone was set up to be different. Plus, you cast Ben Affleck as Batman, and I think he didn't really want to be there. But anyway. so it was um, a paycheck. It was a paycheck. His boat payment was due. It, something was due. Go make a movie. Earn yep. some money. So I'll be very curious to see what they can do with DC. Wonder Woman has somewhat salvaged it because they've p- pulled Wonder Woman out of the timeline with 1984 and her own timeline. They've done with her what Captain America did for the Avengers movies, which is she's existing in her own universe anyway. That might allow them some freedom to have a little fun with the characters that deserve it. Batman does not. Superman is lighter. And not everybody needs to be the Dark Knight. There's my 20-minute rant on those two. We'll talk about watches for a moment. (laughs) We're back to watches, though. (laughs) Petrolhead2003 says, If I could buy watches from a single company, which one would it be? I thought about Omega. I thought about IWC. But I have landed on Zenith. Zenith is my Zenith. They used to produce movements for Rolex, I believe, for decades. Wow. But then Rolex is now making their own movements. And that's really when you move into the world of watches, you have to decide movement or style. Mm. And then the companies that do both, that's when you really start to pay money. So you got to decide. A lot of watch manufacturers source movements, which is perfectly fine. And they're still valid as Swiss watches Mm -hmm. because they bought the movements. They modified them. They turned them around. You'll Mm. see the crowns going in different directions. They'll change the chronograph dials. They'll change things about it, but it's still a Swiss made movement. It still tells time, right? <laughs> sorry. Yes. <laughs> that was yes. a cheap shot. I'm sorry. I'll, here's why I'm so into watches. It's because things like the Apple watch mm-hmm. as a product designer and being mm-hmm. into tech and just 
being a human being, we know that that Apple Watch is going to end up in the garbage. Yeah, sooner rather than later. Yeah, it fair just point. will. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah, I yeah, hate yeah. to say it, mm-hmm. as cool and mm-hmm. useful as that is now, the people still wearing the original Apple Watch are are there any left? <laughs> I'm asking. <laughs> as Maybe. a Gen One, that's a fair point. But you want to upgrade because of all point. the features, yeah. because of the next one, and what'd you do? The old one is in a drawer, or you handed it down to your niece or nephew. They threw it away because they they're into yeah. something else. You paid money for it, and I, I very much look at if if I'm going to spend money on something like that, I want to have it forever, mm-hmm. and I want to hand it down to somebody who's going to appreciate it forever. Mm. That's why I love watches so much because they are, in a weird way, timeless. I can see it All because right. they're so it. they're handcrafted. The style, if you're into style. They'll always look good with whatever you're doing. Many watches look good. You're scuba diving. You're in the water. You go to dinner. You're wearing a suit, whatever that is. It will always look good. And yeah, that's all it does is tell the time. What else matters? Mm. Another email and on your wrist and who cares? Got a phone for that. (laughs) Yeah. And many times I want to leave the phone off. I just want to look at the time. I want to look at my life moving by and it's, enshrined in this piece of steel or Mm, white mm. gold or whatever. And it's telling time by gears and springs. And that is amazing. Mm -hmm. I love the manufacturing and think of all the people in the watch industry, putting their effort and expertise into making that thing that sits on my wrist. And it's a piece just for me. It is not Mm. for anybody else. Mm. Even though people notice your watch. Sure. It's not for you. It is a personal thing. It's for me to enjoy and no one else. Mm. All right. That's okay. what's amazing about kind of like cars, I, even though I see it. people buy cars to but, brag about how much money they have. Yes. But at the same time, though, you're right. There is a direct connection. I mean, I am, have been immune to it, but there is a huge connection between people that are car people and people that are watch people. There is major crossover mm-hmm. there for sure. Tony Salas asks a few questions about video editing. I'll try to go quickly. He says, first off, any hints on how to learn video editing? And he also asks, can you use iMovie? Yes, of course you can, Tony. Whatever editorial system you're currently using, you can tell a good story with. I mean, I started editing. This will throw you. I started editing actually using two VHS recorders. Did you really? Oh, yes. You put in the tape that's going to be your master. And then you put one that feeds to it into the other one, and you and you record a clip from the source tape to the record tape. What? You're recording in real time because you can't go back. And I would Unreal. actually watch all my source footage. Before I had real gear, I would watch all my source footage, and I would take time code notes. I need to go from this tape at this amount to this tape at this amount. took forever. You're kidding me. Okay, this is like old typesetting kind of uh, writing, too. It's crazy. So iMovie, where you can move stuff around, it just – indiscriminately you don't care you just move it around use iMovie use the stuff that came with your phone who cares the thing I'm going to say to help you as an editor is a couple of things one experiment two and I didn't learn this until I started cutting TV commercials whatever you just cut would be better shorter Mm. There's there's there is a breaking point where you got too short. You need to put stuff. There's back. exceptions to every rule right? there is a breaking point okay. but I find with most early editors whatever you cut is too long it needs to be it needs to be tighter Tighten it up. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I didn't get good enough at it until I started taking 30-second commercials, which felt like, oh, we finally got that down to 30 seconds. Mm. That finally fits in 30 seconds, and then the, the client calls. Happen more times I can count and be like, yeah, can you make me a 15 of that? I got to cut this in half? I just, I, it, took, it took days to get to 30. How, I can't take half. And you know what? You find it. 
I'm going to get that same story in half the time. Is the 30 better? Probably, because you really, I mean, you fought for 30. But I need a 15-second version. Here we go. So make it tighter than you think until you break it. Mm. Because the, the classic example is the, the video on your phone. Wait for it. I'm here for 15 seconds to get to the thing I'm watching. Why am I not watching the thing I'm supposed to see? Mm-hmm. What was the first 15 seconds for? So cut down, cut faster. Also, watch your audio. If your audio is bad, nobody cares what the video looks like. Nobody cares. Right. That's and the true. last thing I would say is the simplest way to learn editing is to cut for what the person is saying you need to see. Here's my house. Let me show you my garage. We need to be looking at a shot of the garage. Have you seen the license plate of this car? Show me a shot of that license plate. Right, right. That's the simplest. Now, there's a ton of other detailed things. There's pacing. There's stuff that you learn over time. But in the simplest version, it's CSE. Show me what we're talking about. Show me what's important. And if you don't have a shot of it, go get that shot. Right, which creates the work because – you got to go get the shot. Yep, yep, yep. I love that as a metaphor for pushing you as in anything you're doing, you didn't think you could do this, and now I'm asking you to do even better. Mm-hmm. You didn't think you could do it 30 seconds. Okay, congratulations, you made it. Cut that in half and make it still yes. as compelling. Yes, make a 15. In anything you're doing, mm-hmm. you didn't think you could drive that fast on track or you know control a car that way, and finally you feel like you got there. Okay, now we're going to go faster. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to do it mm-hmm. better. We're going to drop good. your lap times. What? How is that even possible? <laughs> it can't go because faster. Because these 15 yes, people are actually faster than you. How are they faster? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me show you. I love that applied to anything that we're doing as human beings, from climbing to directing That's to good. whatever I love that it. is. I do love that. Do you notice we got a couple of hair questions? Ted Theologan <laughs> is newly long-haired and asks you for hair care tips. You know nothing, Flo, mm. says, when I started going bald, did Paul embrace it or become a hat guy? I'm both because it actually does hurt. I'm totally a hat guy. <laughs> more than more than you know. I, you I love hats, hats. Yes. And it stings. A lot of very nice hats. Well, it, yeah. top of your head burns. It hurts. I understand. Yes. I realized I was probably 25, 28, somewhere in there. And I'm like, oh, no. What are people going to think of me? And then I realized every other truly bald person because I'm lost a lot of hair, but I don't consider myself like skin bald. Sure. 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 Yeah. I'm looking at every other actors, every other person who's bald. I'm thinking, I don't care. That's just who you are. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I work with people. Patrick Stewart. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Bruce Willis. I mean, name that Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, well, okay. Who cares? Mm-hmm. It's no reflection on your sparkling personality <laughs> <laughs> or your character or you, who like you it. are it's as a good. person. Okay. Whatever. It's happening. It happens to a lot of people, men and women. And mm-hmm. you know what? Okay. That's just who I am. And <laughs> most of the time you realize you're talking to somebody like that and you're like, I, I don't care. It didn't really even occur to me. Point. Like you don't have any hair. Like who cares? Yeah. Ted, uh, party on Ted, by the way, uh, Ted, the, uh, the question for you, since you're asking about long hair, I, I guess I'll touch on this real quickly. Here's the thing that I would say to you. Don't care what it looks like that much. I mean, look, don't like, don't shower. I'm not saying that and actually give, give a shower. But my point here is the, the days of it just being perfect are behind you <laughs> because now it's just, there's, there's, you've added an element of crazy. Just embrace it. <laughs> hey, you know, I have low shampoo bills. You do. I will and tell I have, you that. I have crazy hair, and I look at myself on camera all the time, and I just go, that was a weird hair day. All right, moving on. Whatever. <laughs> we've covered watches a little bit, but we've got to cover whiskey. No, no. That's right. We've got tons of those, too. <laughs> yes. I've gone back to <laughs> on this side. Cadbury says, 
Sorry, Todd. Hey, Paul, I've been, I've been getting into the Scotch whiskey game, and I'm looking for something with some kick, strong, smoky flavors. He's tried better-known names like Buffalo Trace and Monkey Shoulder and Glenn Fittich and Jameson. And Monkey all Shoulder. Good. <laughs> I'm looking for something a little more bold. Any suggestions? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I do enjoy Chattanooga, Tennessee, 1816, and their collection. I have discovered Westland Distillery. Up in Washington, as a matter of fact, our race team director, Dale, got me onto that. Race team director. I like that. That's good. <laughs> he brought me a bottle of Westland, and that is, uh, that is good. But if you want Pete, if you want the smoke, Brooklady Distillery, my friend, mm. and they make a product called Octomore, that, that will, <laughs> you'll either love it or suddenly you'll be like, that, that could go in my car. That could power my car or a jet or a rocket <laughs> or something like that. But Octomore from Brooklady Distillery, it's one of the nine distilleries that I love in Scotland. It's it's a peat monster. Okay. So look that up. Octomore, it's in a black bottle, black glass. It's it's good. You want something that'll <laughs> take you to jet land? Fuel. Jet fuel, huh? Okay. Jet fuel, baby. All right. Ted Adam Green asks, which of, what is our favorite cartoon and why? Now, oh. Ted, I'm going to go to the side here for a second. And I'm, I'm gonna, when you say cartoon to me, I think classic drawn stuff mm. because I like, I like a lot of the Pixar stuff, which is animated. Sure. But I wouldn't sure. consider Pixar stuff cartoons. I would consider, you know, stuff that used to play on TV as half hour stuff in a drawn format. And I'm going to say the Animaniacs from the 90s. Oh, I sure. love the Animaniacs. And you're, the reason why is because, and again, I've watched it with my son and he enjoyed it, but we had that great time when we watched it later that uh, we're, we're experiencing it on two different levels. He finds it funny because it's goofy and it's cartoons and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But some of the referential stuff and some of the jokes and some of the dialogue he doesn't connect with at all. And it's, it just killed me. So sure. it was one of the, and, sure. and I enjoyed how fast they got that storytelling to work. So the Animaniacs in the 90s is my all-time favorite. I, I hear that. I guess I'm going to take you way back. I'm go, going with Looney Tunes, but okay. it's because of the artistic element of in-betweening between character moves mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just the fun storylines, of course. But it really kind of hit home for me when I went to a concert at the Hollywood Bowl a few years ago. Well, many years ago. But it was Looney Tunes cartoons with the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Conducted by John Williams. That sounds awesome. I have to admit that sounds great. I mean, yeah. you remember that? Dun, 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 oh, yeah. Dun. yeah, yeah. That live with a orchestra that directed awesome. by John Williams. That sounds great. It brings a whole new meaning to what you're watching <laughs> and just the swell of music. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is art. They are very music based, much more so than you remember. Yes. They're almost so music based if you go back to silent film. There's a lot of silent films. Like, look at some of the Buster Keaton stuff, uh, Charlie Chaplin stuff that's on YouTube, for example. Like, look at part of The General, where he's actually mm -hmm. in real time. He's dealing with uh, railroad ties and a train on a track and crazy stuff. But it's not as good silent. Yeah. It yeah. would have had somebody playing something to give you the emotion. That's what music's for. It gives you the emotional through line of what you're watching. There would have been somebody playing something. When you watch it silent, it's impressive, but it loses a step, which goes back to what you're saying. Man, with the full orchestra, oh, that the, would be The orchestra killer. just made it come to life and That'd take on killer. new meanings. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I love it. Amazing. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is important. This applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all of the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. 
I know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss a deal on that perfect car. Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. Drew Markey asks me a writing question. I'll actually stop writing questions after this one, but this is interesting. He says, are there any great books, blogs, or podcasts we'd recommend to learn more about writing? Drew, um, hmm. there's mountains of stuff. So you're going to have your own things you connect with. One of the big things about writing in general is you need to do it a lot. I am not a person that says write every day, partially because I just can't get around to doing that. But I also think that, that I don't think there's anything wrong with writers taking breaks Okay, because we but do do things like write emails and this kind of stuff that helps efficiency of language is important. And to that point, I think Stephen King's on writing book is phenomenal. It's the best one I've ever read. I've read three or four. It's the best one I've ever read. You don't have to be a Stephen King fan. He actually does one where he reads it as an audiobook himself, which is actually pretty good. The thing I liked about his on writing book, besides it telling kind of his history and his story, is that he does a couple of especially when he's reading it to you, he does a couple of things where he walks you through a description of a room and he shows you two different ways to do it. And one is incredibly sparse. I can't believe you gave me the entire picture of that room with like two sentences. And the other one, he goes into this massive overwrought detail and you realize you don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. And you learn, he he's able to kind of show with two descriptions of the same thing. He does this a few times and other things in the book too. He's able to show you efficiency of language because when I was coming up through high school and even early college, I had instructors in literature and in English and that kind of stuff that it's going to sound weird. It's almost like they were prepping all of us to be lawyers. The kind of writing they were setting us up for kind of weird was compound sentences and complex and self-referential within the sentences. And so I can pick up a contract to this day and be like, this is what this says. But you know what? I could write that in a sentence. But in, in as much as therefore, as before mentioned, come on, stop. Let's but this speak is, plainly. This is yeah. legal writing, and, yeah. and there's a lot of instructional stuff in the business world that is it's over complex. And so for me to discover a writer who was being as efficient as possible after being trained officially to be the opposite, I found it revelatory. Just use some Latin words, ipso facto, and just go on after that, you know. <laughs> All right, there's a lightning round coming up here. Bill Blum says, is pineapple a valid pizza topping? Sure. <laughs> I like no. fruit. I love pineapple. No. I love pineapple juice. Yenju Lee asked me what my opinion is on the new Omega Snoopy. This is a Snoopy-inspired Omega watch, high-end watchmaker, not taking themselves too seriously. So, yes, I like it. I like it when manufacturers do that. And they they have the randomest collaborations, and you think, that's kid stuff. And, well, it's them not taking themselves so seriously. It's not like, well, we're with this race team, and we have to, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. we're the best ever, and that kind of thing. I love it. All right, Michael DeVitro says, if we each picked a movie the other person had to watch in full once a week for a year, what would oh, it be? God. I'd probably make you watch something from Michael Bay, like something blowy uppy and everything's been chromed and, and everything's been chromed and blown up for a couple times. And, and yeah. there's just all kinds of holes in the plot line. And when <laughs> when in doubt, they just go to punchy punch or blow stuff up. I wa- I've been watching movies from the 90s because they're right about my son's speed. And I just watched Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, that has not aged well. That has not aged well. There's, That's there's, funny. It is, it is, let's put it this way. It is fraught with problems. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't mind watching that. I'd, I'd watch that. Uh, well, see, here's the thing. If I'm going to give you something you have to watch once a week, it's got to be a Stallone film. We just got to figure out which yeah. one. We're still going to do Watches, Whiskey, and Stallone, and, and I think you're going to be Blotto by the end because it's going to be Stallone, yeah. 
All right, then there's this question from Jeff. Jeff Rideout says, if a regular fan of the show meets us, oh, yeah. they're going to know all about our wives and kids and Porsches and proclivities and probably treat you like long-lost brothers. <laughs> Meanwhile, we know nothing about them at all. Does that non-level social playing field ever, ever feel weird, and how do you navigate that? Well, as a matter of fact, we just had lunch with a fan and his mm-hmm. wife coming through. They bought a car in Michigan, drove it cross country, mm-hmm. came down through Utah. And many of you have come through Utah and said, hey, guys, I'm going to be in Park City. I'm yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. nearby. Can you have lunch? And if that happens, we try our darndest we try, to yeah. squeeze it into the Doesn't schedule work, and yeah. come meet you guys. And absolutely, because I look at it as just – now I can. Now I can. I just look at it as, hey, we're all in this together. We're all just feeding the car disease and enjoying cars and like-minded people and just enjoying. They don't have to be the high-end cars, and we're just straightforward, and we mm-hmm. speak plainly, and we're just friendly with each other. And I love that the cars brings people of all kinds together. Mm-hmm. We've looked out at some of our meetups going, I don't think there's any other reason this group of people would have any reason to get together and just a good hang point. out. That's a good point. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. It is Jeff, sometimes difficult to navigate that, but honestly the place where I always start is I start asking that other person, all the questions to fill in that hole mm-hmm. because you said the weirdest thing for Paul and I is when we were sitting with a group of people and, we'll throw a joke at each other that we think of as an inside joke and somebody else at the table answers it and we realize it's because, oh. I might have oh, said that out loud on the podcast. I mentioned that on the podcast, right. didn't I? So now all of you are getting that joke. And so that that's simultaneously, we're getting more used to it, but that's simultaneously weird and wonderful. But if I'm sitting down with somebody I've never met before and they know this podcast, yeah, they've heard stories about my son and my wife and whatever and they know what cars I drive. And so I ask those questions of them. Mm-hmm. Who are you? What do you do for a living? Do you have kids? What car do you like? What you know? Because that's instant yeah. stuff to talk about that relates to all the things we already connect on. You know, one of the biggest questions, the I, I think one of the best questions that we can ask you is, "How did you find the show?" Yeah, always ask, and that, that for just sure. expounds into you name the topic it because goes great stuff. People will say, "Well, I found you on this road trip," and some memory comes back that mm-hmm. I found you during this time in my life, mm-hmm. and it affected me in this way. I love hearing those stories. That bumps right into the question from Mystic Negro. How are you, man? He says, uh, what's the single best thing about Everyday Driver? We each have to give a different answer. I'm going to – I'm actually going to give two. I'm sorry, but I'm going to give two. Okay. Because the first one that came to my mind – I want to answer it that way. The first one that came to my mind is I can't believe that I have found something to do for a living that combines so many things of who I am as a person. I am a storyteller. I learned while being in the film industry massive things about post-production that served me to this day – that I never, I never learned in school. They were in the trenches kind of stuff that serve us in delivering the TV episode. Yeah. By being an editor of TV and commercials and film for a while, that applies directly to what we do as a show. Yeah. I learned while in the film industry that I could take a complex idea, learn it, and then explain it to a filmmaker who knew nothing about it very quickly, plainly, in a couple of sentences. That relates to how we host the show. Yeah, yeah. And we get to interact with people about cars. I can't believe all these things have kind of bubbled up to be parts of the same whole. So that's my first answer. But that leads to my second answer, which you've already touched on, and that is, honestly, I can't believe the people that have connected, made friends, and (laughs) the community that has surrounded us because – it's weird. On one level, we started this to be helpful to people and to help people find cars they love. That's the core of the show. Right, right. To be on the backside and realize that's working is kind of strange. <laughs> that's a good <laughs> to, one. To have people that are around us that we know, that we've met, friends that we've made because of starting this show, friends all over the country, in some cases all over the world, that shocks me. And I, I am, I'm encouraged by that, but I'm still at the same time in wonderment about it. 
Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, speaking of all over the world, we heard from our pal Owen. He's in Switzerland, mm-hmm. and he met us at the 2018, no, 2019 pilgrimage. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, Owen, we're chatting on social media, and it's just nice to hear from people all over the world and the friends we've made. And I'm with you on that. I can't believe that you and I have been able to do the things that we've done because I think, you know, in certain points – I always wanted to do something with cars in my life. And I thought that would have manifested itself in car design. And I was right to a point, but realizing that if I were a designer at Honda or Volkswagen or some company, I wouldn't be getting to do these experiencing experiences, but then sharing them. Mm, because that's a good point. That's a good point. I don't yeah. want to just go have the experience. That, yeah. that seems very selfish to me. I want to be able to share that. What is the best way you and I can share that? Mm. The medium that we found TV and film yeah, and that's a good point. podcast yeah, yeah. and just yeah, being yeah. able to share that. But knowing that all of you on the other end, it feels like you're just sitting right here. That is you're, cool. you're just sitting yeah. with us and we're all yeah, just yeah, kind yeah. of sharing it together. That's the outlook that I have about it. And to be able to think, you know, some of the cars that we've been driving driving and I think, how, how did, how did I get to be here? <laughs> what was that? What sequence, sequence of events, of events yes. led up to this point in my life mm-hmm. that I'm doing this, but I want to share that. I don't want to just mm-hmm. be alone in doing yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, Spread the love and spread the wealth and the knowledge of that mm-hmm. car. I don't want to just see, you know, supercar and, oh, the, that's only for rich people. I can't. If I get to drive that, I want to share it somehow. Mm, I see that. Yeah, for sure. Because for sure. many people won't have ever seen that car, let alone drive that car ever in their lifetime. Mm. I want to share that. Waleed asks, what's our getaway? Meaning, what do we do to escape the day job? Because let's be honest, we've just covered the fact that the day job's pretty cool. Yeah. So what do we do to ex- yeah. escape the day job? Waleed, this is one of the reasons I live, one of the main reasons I live in Park City and love it so much. Because I am massively recharged by being outdoors. And I find, again, I'm sitting in a dark room editing all day. Which I don't mind. Or I'm driving a car, which I also love. Okay, <laughs> right. But just driving out somewhere and hiking for four or five miles in the forest, in the mountains, I come back a different person. I like that so much going out and destroying myself. I can't believe how sore and tired I am, but that was an awesome bike ride. Yeah. Just doing those things. In fact, one of the reasons for a while, you and I toyed with the idea of doing mountain bike related videos that died for two reasons. One, we realized that if we were going to do this, we we're really going to be hucking ourselves off of massive jumps over huge chasms because that would get views. Oh, right. And we weren't going to do that. But the other thing is it turned a, something that was an escape for you and I into work. Yeah, right. We now had to be in a headspace about working and getting stuff done while trying to do this thing that was supposed to be just a getaway. So we stopped it for both those reasons. And now when I go mountain biking, I may go with my son. I may go with my son and his dog. I may go with just my son's dog. I may go by myself. I don't care. I'm just sure. out here doing this. Right. And it's awesome. Right. All right, uh, last question for me here. I wish we could keep going. There's this so is, many great ones. It's, it's, great. One, it's wonderful. Thank you guys so much. Okay, I'll go for two. First of all, Michael Henry is asking, if we get penalized, if people skip through the ads on the podcast, is there any downside to this? Michael tries to listen to them all, but every now and then he will, he will skip them. Michael, I just want you to know that the advertisers and the sponsors that we've partnered with are carefully thought about. Mm-hmm. And when people approach us, I tell them that I'm very protective of our audience. I'm not willing to offer you guys up to just anybody. Mm-hmm. And so when people approach us and say, hey, for you know June and July, we've got this special thing from you know whoever. I, I don't even know who wants to advertise with us. It's usually a marketing company. Yeah. And I'm thinking, all right, well, if you want a long-term relationship, for me to offer you guys up, mm-hmm. I'm very defensive of you guys you as far been, as and that's good. who you're exposed to and who you're listening to because that reflects on us. And I just want you to know that all those sponsors and advertisers are – 
companies that we buy from too, mm-hmm. or we have patronized for a long time yeah. and continue to as well. So they matter to us and I want them to matter to you too. So if you hear them once in a while, great. If you skip them, fine. But I just want you to know that I'm very defensive of you guys as far as an audience. And I'm not just willing to allow anybody anymore. And I'm thankful that we're at a place where we're large enough to mm-hmm. be able to, to do that because it would be nice to just say, yeah, we need the money and we need, sure. We'll just take your money and here's an ad everybody. And your guy, you guys are saying, thanks a lot for letting me listen to that. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. need that. And that was a stupid product and whatever. I want it to matter to your lives. I want it to benefit the audience mm-hmm. the most, not benefit us. I want it to benefit the audience first. I totally agree with that. Michael, I would ask you, if you've skipped the ads, could you tell us who our sponsors are? <laughs> Good if point. You, if you could, then thank you. You've listened to the podcast properly because ultimately we want you guys to hear the new changes, the specials, the stuff that they're doing. We want you guys to, to know that because we're hoping that it's a benefit to you, just like Paul just said. But if you have no idea who sponsors the show, I, we need we need your help. We mm-hmm. need you to be yes. aware of who sponsors the show because they they keep the show going. They do. They do. All right. So a last question here, again, from Chris Starr, who wants me to talk about pianos and Mm. what instrument do I have in my home? What do I wish I had? What style and composers do I like to play or not like to play? I love to hear stuff on, you know, whatever I'm listening to. And just I walk over to the piano and I just try to find it and kind of figure it out a little bit. I, I go for jazz. I'm I love, I'll admit, I love more of the 80s stuff and just, you know, jazz composers and that kind of thing. I grew up on classical music. I started piano lessons when I was five. I stopped when I was 18. I was in a band. I've played for a lot of different groups and that kind of thing. And it's just, it's a really cathartic outlet for me. Mm. I would love to spend the money and take the time to really pursue really advanced piano lessons in theory. Mm. But you and I have this show to make. We do. We do. We are a little busy. Yeah. But to be honest, I, I have this uh, J&C Fisher piano that my grandfather bought new for my grandmother in 1938. He still has the onion mm. skin receipt. They paid $400 in 1938 for this piano. Good grief. It is an artist baby grand. It's five foot six, not a four foot eight baby and not a six foot regular size grand. Huh. Wow. And so it's a special length and it's made out of walnut. It's not black. It's walnut, which I love. And my whole family has played this piano. It's very special to me. My grandmother, grandfather, aunts, uncles, my sister, everybody has played this piano. And Mm. it's just, it's a really special instrument to me. It needs to be restrung. The hammer felts are needing to be remade and that's $9,000. And It lasts for a long time, but it's got a very bright sound because the hammers are worn, which mm. I don't mind. But then I play new pianos and it's very muted because those hammers are brand new. <laughs> Interesting. And okay. I, I do love playing. So as a matter of fact, Todd's wife and Todd's son have insisted lately that I watch Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I had not seen it. It came out. Both on, of them uh, are obsessed. Netflix. It's very good, but both of them are obsessed. It's actually out on Disney Plus, but yes, keep going. Disney yeah. Plus. Okay. And I relented because I'm not a huge fan of... Movies where they burst into song. You're not an opera person. Yes, I am not. But I have to say it was spectacular. I loved it. And to be honest, I've been looking into getting the score and learning some songs just to play them because I really appreciated the writing, how creative it was Mm -hmm. and the actual rapping in there. Yeah. And the piano was excellent. And I've thought I wouldn't mind uh, learning a few of those songs. Matter of fact, I heard Leslie Odom when he came to Deer Valley as part of the Deer Valley concert series a Mm -hmm. few years ago. And I went to see him. The guy was phenomenal. And of course he joked with the crowd 
and he was doing the nationwide uh, insurance commercials for a little bit. And he worked that into, you know, because they'd banter with the crowd before he'd break into his next song. And he would just go the, (laughs) you know what I mean? And he'd he'd sing that and everybody burst out laughing. He was just, guy is amazing. But everybody in that cast was amazing. I have a deep appreciation for it. Was it was very cool. The music actually left more of an impression on me. That's very cool. I have a question I think we both should answer to end on, but I have a lightning round quick one I want to do prior. The one I want to end on is, did you see this one? The biggest challenge we face in expanding the brand. Oh, yeah, I did I think see it's that. a good, good one to end on if you want to end there. But first off, I want to speak to Dan's question. He actually asked this via email, which is perfectly valid. He's a big fan of the automotive writer, That Sam Smith. He's asking if we're familiar with his work and or who else do we like. I love Sam Smith's work. He has written for a lot of places, a lot of car magazines. He's also written outside of cars. He has a very thoughtful, very introspective writing style that I'm a huge fan of. His stuff is great. I also really like at UK Top Gear, Tom Ford, Tom Wookie Ford, he's referred to sometimes. Mm-hmm. He is phenomenal. Those are actually my top two. I absolutely I agree with you. And Ollie Marriage, I think, is up there. Ollie Marriage is uh, very I good. I love yes. his writing as He's well. very good. Yeah, also um, UK Top Gear for sure. Yeah, so the biggest thing, the biggest challenge in expanding the brand it's wanting to expand in viewership and scope and having the dollars to be able to go execute on the ideas that we want to do. Because sometimes we come up with ideas and we go, what if we did this, this, and this? And then we apply reality to that idea. <laughs> the, the budget reality filter, yes. And realize like, oh, shipping multiple cars to that location or getting us there or what's the, <laughs> what is involved with just the production of that to come away with the footage because there's all this behind the scenes stuff, just like any production. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And it is then applying the reality of, okay, well, how many more viewers will that get us? Mm-hmm. H- how will that expand the brand? So we're looking into more platforms. Okay, more platforms, more audiences. If you can believe it, the YouTube audience is not the same as the Amazon Prime mm-hmm. audience. True, true, true. There is very little overlap. I know most of you listening are, are aware of that, and maybe there is. But we found the audiences are different. So how do we expand the brand? And, and also, as you've said before, get that out there that we just exist to help people get in a fun car they love to drive. And once you do, everybody's sort of like, this is great. I never thought this way before. I, that's what we want. I mean, that's the most satisfaction. But we want to get paid for our work too. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. with all the advertisers and sponsors that have approached us, I don't want to just take anybody's money. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I do. Don't get me wrong. I do. <laughs> we want to take everyone's money, but we want to be But I, fair I really to have to be careful with guys, that yeah. because then I see them elsewhere and I think that is not who the everyday driver audience and brand is curated to be. Yeah. The branding thing has been difficult, but I say difficult only because you and I have spent a lot of time in it. I think we've thankfully been nicely aligned most of the time on what the brand is and isn't, which I'm glad mm-hmm. that we're aligned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone that meets and finds out what we do instantly then tells us what our show should be. Oh, that's happened that. from the yes. beginning. Actually, the first few years it was it was rampant. You know what you should guys should do? We is should do whatever trucks, classics, whatever that person rods, was excited about. That was the thing. only thing we should do. So, staying true to what we set out to do, which is again to try to be helpful and to get us all into cars we can actually afford and actually love. There's been lots of opportunities to do everything but that. Mm-hmm. So we've had to make sure we keep kind of recentering to that. That's been part of it. Also, coming to the reality of the fact that YouTube doesn't work well for us. Yeah, It's worked very well for some. There are other two hosted car shows, many of which have flat out told us they were inspired by us that have been far more successful than us on YouTube. I'm not going to get into the whys. We've never worked well on YouTube. So us getting to a place where we said, all right, YouTube's going to continue, but we're going to jump elsewhere. That was one of the hardest things to do. And one of the most beneficial things for the brand was to stop worrying about YouTube primarily. 
YouTube is like third on the list for us. And it also is third on the list for income. Mm-hmm. We don't do very well on YouTube. We Even will keep we're focused it indefinitely. On it. We're focused on but it. But it is, it is, it's interesting how as we branched out, we found a better audience for us and what we do. Yeah. So then the other thing going on is back to the sponsor thing, but elsewhere, sponsors really want to give you stuff. They want to yes. give you one of their product. They don't yes. want to give you any money. They want to give you one of their product. We're not a build show. Right. I, I, great that you could send me an, a supercharger. I, I, I don't have it. I'm not going to put it on anything. So finding on sponsors. On mantle, maybe. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to make it into a speaker. Finding sponsors who understood and actually connected with what we actually do as a show right. was actually right. a bit of a hunt because we first off had to go through kind of a wall of sponsors who wanted to give car shows things but no money and realized we're not your audience. And we actually want actual sponsorship dollars to do more content. And you guys can be alongside us. So the sponsors that we have have been great in that. Yes. But that yes. was definitely something to find was to find those sponsors who were like, we know what you guys at everyday driver actually do. And we want to be part of it. Yeah. And you know, we're caring about those companies, customers, mm-hmm. but also willing to let you guys become their customers too. And you know, we want repeat business. We want repeat business for those sponsors, but yet I don't want to just offer you to anybody. Yeah. 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 You know, Holy cow. That, that was, was uh, one of the longest ever hour and 15 minutes is a good, a good run. I like it. Pretty it's good. worth it. 550 podcasts. You and I set out and we're like, yeah, we'll do a few. We'll see how it goes. We'll get six months in and decide we'll get a year in and decide <laughs> that was 2014. I believe Oh my gosh. it's been six years. Yeah. Thank you all very much for the excellent questions. Mm-hmm. Curated, thoughtful, understanding, great questions. Thank you so much. I always leave it on uh, just a till next time kind of note because that's how I look at it. So until next time, guys, cheers.